through. It's uh, good to be able to speak to you this morning. Um, we're in, embarking on a, a series, as Ant mentioned, called Family Matters. Uh, we're trying to look at life issues, and it's going to carry on for some time. We're going to do Family Matters for a while now, then we're going to break it with another teaching series and then come back to it. Um, and we're going to try and address issues that are where we live, uh, things that are confusing people, things where the church needs to clarify its position in the world. And in this series, as we look at possible contentious issues, there will almost certainly be differences of opinion and sensibilities present here amongst us in the church family. Um, it's very possible that we are not going to have everybody in perfect agreement on every topic that we talk about. Now, Anthony's mentioned on a number of occasions the, 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 the phrase cancel culture, and for those of my generation who have not yet become familiar with all of the latest terminology, I can say to you that it's a term that refers to a mindset that's not prepared to discuss or tolerate a difference of belief, and instead of discussing or considering, simply cuts off contact with the person um, of a different opinion and, and simply declares them to be irrelevant and often evil, and then people tend to, to climb on board, and a person gets shunted to one side, their opinion is not heard, and we have cancelled them. Sometimes people choose to cancel themselves. They don't agree with what other people in, in, a, in a particular group of people are saying, and so they remove themselves. They don't stay and try and influence. They don't stay and try and be influenced. They just remove themselves. And it's becoming increasing that we have a situation where it's becoming difficult to address contentious issues. And I'll be honest with you, as a preaching team, we've spent several days praying and talking about how we're going to go about things in a way that will approach some of the issues that we will encounter further down the road in a respectful and inclusive way and try and reach a point where we as a church can go forward rejoicing in what we believe God has called us to do with clarity in our minds about what we believe and what we know. Families have to do this, you know, today I, I would call my, 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 my talk building a robust church or a healthy family, and, and families have to deal with contentious issues quite a lot of the time, and except in extreme cases, People don't just cancel each other in families. We do get situations nowadays, we're seeing some very high-profile families are canceling each other. But generally speaking, families stick things together. They work their way through. We don't just walk away, and it's because we've got something invested in our family. It's something, it's a base that we have. It's relationship and safety and provision and, and joy and fellowship that we have, and that protects us when we have to work through issues. Anybody who's worked through the teenage years with children will know that you don't always have harmony at home. Yeah, there was a, a tired chuckle over there. We, we, we don't always agree with, with, with our, our youngsters. They don't always agree with us. And sometimes they have to change their opinions, and sometimes we have to change our opinions. But we do it because there's love and there's fellowship and there's care and there's concern, and we stuck together in this family. And so we've got to find a way to make it work. To this end... I would say that we need the same resilience within a church family. We need to have the resilience to deal with things that could be contentious within the church family, and we need to have resilience in dealing with things that can come as being contentious from outside of the church family and challenge what we do. And in looking to find that kind of resilience, as Helen did last week, I, I went back to the, 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 the first chapters of Acts, or the book of Acts, to look at the early church, because it is, in many ways, a blueprint for us about how to go about things. And so this morning, as quickly as I can, because I see that our time is moving on, but I will try not to speed up my speaking, which I know is what I, 
I default to, I'll slow down. But I'm going to try and work through a number of incidents and situations in the early church and just have a look at how they dealt with areas where either they were under pressure from outside or where there was dissension or difficulty inside. Um, And so we'll join our story very early on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. And this is at a time when things are going well in the church. Just to set the background for you, we've had Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has descended on 120 people hiding in a room, our our spiritual ancestors for all of us. The, The Word came from those 120 people that brought it out to us. The Holy Spirit descended on them. They turned from being scared people hiding in a room to people who rushed out into the streets and began to testify. Peter, who just a month previously had fled from confessing Jesus, stands up and preaches a powerful sermon, and 3,000 people come into the church. 3,000 people are converted from what they believe to a new belief, and they need to form themselves into some kind of a group. They come from disparate backgrounds. They come from different language groups, different cultural groups, different uh, historical backgrounds. People from all over the world were in Jerusalem for Pentecost when this happened. And these people get together and they begin to build a community. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, And all the believers were together in everything and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. There's so much that we can read in this passage about how the early church functioned and how they related to one another. It says they devoted themselves to the following things, to the apostles' teaching. Now, when they talk about the apostles' teaching, remember we're in a time in which the New Testament is being lived. It's it's not been written down yet. The most solid place you had to find out what it meant to be a Christian was to go to the apostles who had been appointed by Jesus himself as witnesses as to what they had seen and heard. At this stage, they're writing the New Testament. But the truth of the matter is, for us, the equivalent is the Word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They wanted to know what they wanted to know what Jesus said. They could hear a lot of what they thought and what other people said, but they wanted to know what the Word of God was, what Jesus Himself had taught and what Jesus Himself had done. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, um, along with it says seeing signs and wonders, there was the presence of the Holy Spirit. There was an awe-inspiring presence of the Holy Spirit in, I'm sure, prophetic words and other gifts of the Holy Spirit. And along with that, they were grounding themselves as firmly as they could in God's Word. That was their bottom line. And we'll see as we go on that they keep returning to that bottom line of what Jesus said, of what God's Word said. They also devoted themselves to fellowship. They built bonds with each other. Friendship and trust only come when you get to know more about people, and to do that, you spend time with them. It's been difficult for us in the last while to spend time with one another, especially as a church. We've we've struggled to get together. We've not been allowed at times to get together, but we have Zoomed and we have WhatsApped and we have phoned and we have written and we have spoken to one another across the street. But in a church community, I would say to you that the fellowship that we have and the communion that we have 
together outside of the formal meetings or before and after the formal meetings or during other functions is very, very important in building family. Some of us are shy. It may not seem so, but I am a very shy person. I don't mind standing up in front of a lot of people to speak to them or sing to them. That's something I seem to be able to do. But my worst nightmare is a, is a, a cocktail party with 12 people I don't know, and I've got to walk around and say, Hi, I'm Clive, and would you like to hear about my life? <laughs> Knowing that they're probably standing with their glass of wine and their plate saying, I don't want to be here either. Uh, and so walking cold into a situation and introducing myself, I find difficult. But we need to overcome that sometimes, and we need to get to know each other, because when we know each other, we trust each other. And when we trust each other, when dissension comes in, we take the time to stop and to talk and to find out what the other person feels and thinks. So that fellowship that they were having was incredibly important. It says that they broke bread in their homes daily. And I believe that the breaking of bread that took place at that time was not a formal symbolic uh, communion mass like, like we are so familiar with, but people went to each other's homes and ate together and broke bread and remembered Jesus and his body and his blood as part of their fellowship. So there was fellowship with each other, and there was fellowship with God brought into the midst of that. And in that, a bonding and a strengthening began to take place that brought these people closer and closer together. It says that they cared, they shared, they gave to one another, they took care of those who didn't have. There was a genuine concern for the well-being in the same way that you would have a family. I would strongly encourage you, don't just come in and go out of church. Don't just come along be part of the worship, be part of the, the, whatever's spoken from the front. Spend two minutes and then leave. Sometimes you have to, I know, but come along to other functions. Come along to the workday. Where's Derek? Derek can use you on the workday. Come along to functions where we socialize. Come along to the church picnic. Come and get to know people that you don't know. Come to learn to trust those people. Come to hear what they have to say, to share your opinions, to maybe even gently argue about something, but to really get to know what makes them tick. I love the fact that Ant and Helen have not distanced themselves from us as a congregation, but they get in amongst us. They love to be invited for a barbecue, so think about that. Get to know them. Ant will also show you he's really good on the barbecue, so I can tell you how to do a really good steak on the barbecue. How did it go on Friday night with the steak? Did it work out all right? Yeah. Was it really good? He's good on the barbecue, he is, or the bry, as we call it in South Africa. Um, in short, in, in the time that they had when things were quiet and things were calm, they used the time to build trust, to build family, to build an ability to relate to one another. And that gets tested quite soon because the truth of, is that the time of harmony was not going to last forever. And, and soon the normality of life began to encroach and issues began to arise. And some of those came from inside and some of those came from outside. And the first one I want to look at, you can find in the book of Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4, uh, and I call it the story of the dancing dude. You'll see why later, but I call him the dancing dude. Um, what had happened was Peter and John were on their way to pray one morning. They walked past a man who had been sitting at the gate of the temple every day for his whole life, who was lame and couldn't walk, and he used to beg for alms at the gate of the temple. And as they walked in, he said to them, could you give me something? And he was hoping for gold or silver or, or coins, and Peter turns to him and says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. And in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the man is raised up and immediately is healed, and he begins to dance and rejoice. He begins, he doesn't go quietly. As they go into the temple to meet with others, he's, he's cavorting alongside them. That's why I call him the dancing dude. 
And he comes along and everybody sees this. And because it's a, a, a miracle that can't be talked away because they know him, a crowd begins to gather and the new Peter filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with the confidence of his church family begins to preach. And as he and John begin to preach and testify to the fact that it's Jesus that healed that man and, and it wasn't them that healed him, the temple guards come and arrest them and they take them before the Sanhedrin and Peter and John are castigated before the Sanhedrin and they are then told that they were not to speak about Jesus anymore. I've shortened the story. They couldn't punish them because every time they looked up at the crowd watching what the Sanhedrin was doing, standing somewhere in the front was this guy saying, I've been healed. And, and there was no way to refute it. So they, this is what they do. In Acts chapter 4, verses 18, they say, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened, for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported to the chief priests what the chief priests and elders had said. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now I'm going to press pause there. They didn't go back to the church, and the church said to them, what do you think you're doing going and preaching in public again? We don't want any trouble with the authorities. Why are you doing this? It's your own fault. You guys chose to do that. The church in solidarity gets behind them and prays and says, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why did the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together. And they pray not for God so much to protect them. They pray to God that he will give them strength to carry on preaching. And Peter and John go back from a place where they are placed in a frightening situation. Think about this. These were the same people who had plotted Jesus' death that they're standing in front of. And they come from that situation into a family that supports them, that gets behind them, that prays with them. And it says, after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. There are issues for the Church of Christ to speak in which are under the threat of the cancel culture, and we may need to make difficult choices in the years ahead. Believers are going to face threats and challenges. Guys, we, I, I don't think I'm being dramatic in saying this church is going to be persecuted. Not maybe by people dragging us out to jail, but people canceling us by society coming against the concept of believing strongly in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may be mocked in your workplace. You may be you may be discriminated against in your workplace. I don't think that as society changes, it's always going to be easy. And we need to have that deep confidence in God's Word. We need to have that deep confidence. Peter and John and the church by that time had grounded themselves in the teaching of the apostles. They had grounded themselves in prayer. They had grounded themselves in fellowship and the breaking of bread. And they stood firm. It didn't cause a split in the church. It didn't cause disruption. They just continued doing what they were doing. They were convinced. Sometimes the challenges and the contentions in the church body come from within the church. And in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, we read about those. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews amongst them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. 
So the twelve gathered the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from amongst you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them, and so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Here's a bit of contention that arises because of something very practical. People are not getting an even distribution in the help that the church is dishing out, and some people complain. But it doesn't turn into a fight or a scrap. There's a level of trust. There's a level of communication that's been established. They come to the elders and they say, we need to do something about this. And the solution is a bit of anointed common sense. Sometimes the solution, sometimes the resolution of conflict in 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 a family or church family is a very practical thing. They say, we need to start dividing responsibilities. We as the apostles have a calling to be the word of God being brought to you. We have to concentrate on that. If you think about it, it was an enormous responsibility. But let us take seven godly men from amongst you and give them allocation of tasks to do that will cover these things. And what I want you to see is when the church comes together in resolution in a time of conflict, the result is it says the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests came in. When we bring unity back in, when contention is resolved in in a positive way, Based on a good relationship and on the Word of God, it brings a resolution which brings unity, and God commands a blessing where there's unity. His Word says so. And so the resolution of this is an increase in the church. It doesn't get worse, it gets better. In resolving it, they get stronger. There's much to learn from this section. Grievances were recognized, they were discussed, and a practical solution was agreed upon. Some areas in the church require common sense as well as godliness. And I want to ask you, how do you respond to that? Are you one of those people who gets really upset when someone's moved your chair or someone's sitting in your favorite chair? Or when you can't get parking where you normally do because somebody's taken that? Are you sometimes upset by the order of the service and you don't say anything to anyone, you just go home and you get upset? If there are practical challenges, we need to meet those practical challenges from a place of trust and a place of of real care for one another and for wanting things to go as well as they possibly can. And this is a good example of that taking place. But sometimes the challenge is the third one I'm going to look at and the last one. Strike to the very heart of people's lifestyles. Strike to the very heart of what you believe and what you're used to and what you believe to be right. And this happened in Acts chapter 15, and I'll read a section to you. Um, and it concerns the church which had started in Antioch. We've jumped quite a long way ahead in, in, in the book of Acts. Shortly after this time, when Stephen and the others are appointed to look after the church, persecution does break out, and people have to flee physically for their lives. But where they flee, they begin to plant a new church wherever they go. And so a very strong and vibrant church begins to grow in Antioch. And it becomes the church where the Apostle Paul himself lands up along with my big hero of the Bible, a guy called Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And the two of them and several others are running the church down in Antioch. It's a church of Gentiles. And they have come into this church of Gentiles, and they have preached to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these Gentiles have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and are serving God with enthusiasm. But as you read in Acts chapter 15, it says, certain people came down 
from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with others, some other believers, to go to Jerusalem and see the apostles and elders about this question. This was a deep thing about people's very lifestyle. The church in Antioch had been going on its way, growing, becoming dynamic, becomes the first church eventually to send out uh, missionaries on the first formal missionary journey. It's a thriving church, but people come down from Jerusalem who have a testimony which is not a good one. They come and they say, you're not doing the right thing. You have to go back to Jewish law. This is something that Anne's preached about a lot. Paul preaches about it. Jude preaches about it. People coming to pervert the truth. And Paul and Barnabas withstand these people strongly, but when they can't get con uh, consensus, they agree that they will travel where? They're going to go physically back to Jerusalem, but actually spiritually they're going back to the base. They're going back to the Word of God. They're going back to the apostles. For us, it would be going back to God's Word and saying, what does that say? And so they traveled up to Jerusalem, and they meet with the apostles. They meet with James, the brother of Jesus, who's leading the church. And everybody puts their concern and their story down to be heard. And at the end of it, there is an agreement between the people there that they will write to the church in Antioch and say to them that, no, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to follow the Jewish law. You're not having that Peter supports it because of his experience with Cornelius. And, excuse me, there's a resolution which comes from them going back to the basis of God's Word. Very simply, what I'd like to say to you this morning is we have a choice when we head into issues, and we'll be talking about things like gender, and we'll be talking about things like racism. And these are things which can get people very hurt, and these are things that can get people very animated and angry, and there are possibly and likely going to be differences of opinion amongst us. What are we going to do about that? I would hope that we are going to honor one another, that we are going to love one another as a family that has fellowship together, that has worshiped together, that has prayed together, that has broken bread together, that we will bring God into the situation, that we will look ultimately, what does God's Word say? What is not my preference, not my experience, not my, my desire, but what does God's Word actually say about a situation? That we can debate that, that we can discuss that, and we can come to a point where we can say, we will walk together firmly on God's Word as a, a church in unity where God can command His blessings. I would say to you, please be involved. Don't be someone who stands on the fringe and throws stones. Don't be someone who comes into a situation looking to be offended. Don't be someone who comes into a situation looking for a fight. What we are doing is we are working our way through a number of family matters to have a healthy and robust church family which is walking according to God's Word in a society which sometimes supports that and sometimes doesn't, in a society which sometimes rejoices in that and sometimes doesn't. And it's important that we work with that love and bond that draws family together so that if you do find, I don't think I agree with what Anne said at that particular time, that you don't take yourself and cancel yourself or cancel the church, but that you come to Anne and say, I need to sit and talk with you. I need to work through these things. There's going to be opportunity in our, in our series for things, that, for example, on, on uh, Sunday Night Cafe, for people to come along and we'll have groups where we can talk. What we are seeking to do is just bring clarity to who we are as a church family so people can walk in unity and walk in confidence. I just want to end by one interesting little 
story that you find later in the book of Acts in chapter 16. When we look at God's Word as the foundation of what we do, we can sometimes use that to batter people in a way that's unnecessary. Sometimes even Christians compromise, and you might go, I'm going to show you a compromise which probably the greatest teacher in the New Testament after Jesus himself made for the greater good of the gospel. In Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 5, it says, And Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, and whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, and Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew his father was Greek. What? Paul circumcised a Greek? That's hypocrisy isn't it? Paul had traveled all the way from Antioch to Jerusalem with Barnabas and others to go and fight for the right. The Greeks didn't have to be circumcised. And yet here, he circumcises Timothy, and Timothy, who's getting the short end in literally, agrees. Why, why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why would he, why would he compromise Paul looks at the situation. He says, I'm going to be taking Timothy with me into synagogues all over Asia. I'm going to be interacting in towns where people have stoned me and thrown me in prison because I preach the Word of God. And they are looking for technicalities to catch us out on. They're looking for things that they can stir up the crowds. So let's just get Timothy circumcised so that we take that tool away from them. It's worth it. Even though he doesn't have to, according to the word, he's prepared to do it so he can go into synagogues with Paul, so he can go into places, and he can't be accused of being disrespectful to the Jewish law and to the Jewish custom. We need to be careful that we aren't people who are so caught up in ourselves that we forget why we're doing what we're doing. Paul's, Paul says, I will become all things to all men that I might preach the gospel. And Paul expects of Timothy going with him, Timothy, it's not about your own personal preference. It's not about your own physical well-being. It's about we need to get this job done, and if you do this thing, it's going to make the job work better. Sometimes we get into huge fights and disruptions within church families and communities about things that aren't really the bottom line. They weren't breaking God's word in doing this. God didn't say you couldn't circumcise a Greek. They just said you didn't need to. And so Paul and Timothy don't stand on their rights and say, we can go into any synagogue that we want to because these are believers. No, they honor what's going on for the sake of the gospel. And I would say to you, as we go forward with this teaching series, we're going to be doing it for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the clear word of God going out. As we interact with one another, let that be the center of what we do, not our personal preferences, our personal angers, our personal windmills that we choose to tilt at but that we focus on what God wants for God's family to be based in His Word, to be clear on His Word, and to walk forward with confidence so that we can change this world. We're here for a reason. We're here to reach people who don't know Jesus. To do that, we need to walk in unity. We need to walk in strength of what we know and believe, and that's what we're trying to do. Walk with us. Fellowship with us. So, guys, let's eat together. Let's fellowship together. Let's rejoice together. Let's talk to one another. Let's sometimes lovingly debate with one another or even argue with one another, but resolve it in the relationship that we have with one another and most importantly with Jesus Christ. Let the bottom line always be His Word.
Let his truth always be the bottom line that we don't walk away from. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for faithful men who set examples for us. Thank you for your word that we can stand on with confidence. Thank you, Lord, for grace that we receive and that we can show to one another. Lord, I pray that you build this church community into people that love one another, that trust one another, that care for one another, that can weather storms whether they come from inside or outside because at the center of all that we do is the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to honor you and thank you in his name. Amen.